Hello everyone, welcome to Langstaff Assembly Podcast. My name is Yanaili Joyce and I'm your host for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you and that it draws you near to God. We're going to read a touching portion of scripture found in the book of Luke chapter 22. And just for the sake of time, because I'm going to go through some material here with you today, um, I'm just going to read the account here in verse 60 of Luke chapter 22. You know that they've been arguing on who will be greater. And uh, verse 60 says this, and Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, prophesy, who is it that smote thee? Now, uh, look what is written in 1 Peter in chapter 5 and verse 8. He writes, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The only other reading is I want to point you because the story of Peter is one who uh, is broken, and yet God takes him, and Peter becomes a warrior for the person of Christ. You see that in verse, actually all over Acts, really, but you see that in verse 14 as it starts here, and it says, but Peter, as others are mocking, saying these men are full of wine, chapter 2 of Acts and verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice. And he begins to preach. And that's all we're going to read. I I take this subject up simply because it's one that's rarely talked about. uh, And yet in scripture, uh, it's always mentioned and warned about how the enemy attacks. And yet through those attacks, God uses unlikely heroes. If there was a title to this message for you today, I would say that God is constantly using unlikely heroes. The goal is really to glorify Christ through this message, I trust that you're uplifted, you're edified, you're encouraged, and also bring light to the enemy's attacks and biblical truths around what the believers have as far as victory in Christ. And then through it all, through our journey, through the heartaches, through the challenges, through the opportunities, through the positive moments, we can worship like Job truly have. If there's someone on this call that hasn't fallen or felt the blow of an attack at any time in their Christian walk, I'd be shocked. It's part of the Christian walk. And that's why there's so many warnings that we see here in Scripture. When we look at Peter, we see one who spoke with boldness. We see one who spoke with conviction. But Peter's unschooled. He's eloquent, perhaps, but ordinary. One thing that sticks out, though, as you look at the story of this man, Peter, is this, that when Peter aligned himself with Christ, he was dynamite for God. We open today with those words that that the hymn gets me every time. But when I survey the wondrous cross, the last verse says this, demands my soul, my heart, my all. I trust that this message takes you and I back to an old rugged cross. Sam read those words in scripture that the Lord's love lasts forever. And you see that proven here in this story with Peter. Billy Graham once said these words, there are three of you. There is the person you think you are. There is the person others think you are. And there is the person God knows you are and can be 
through Christ. And when we look at Peter's restoration and then usefulness, maybe Peter became impactful for God when, as a fisherman from Galilee, Jesus calls him to be a fisher of men. Some might think that maybe he became impactful for God uh, when uh, he walked on the water. Must have been quite a moment. Maybe he was, he was impactful for God when Jesus says, who am I? And Peter says, he's the first to say, really, he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Maybe it was when Peter drew his sword and he attacks the servant of the high priest. Maybe it was when he said, we've forsaken all and followed thee. Was it that moment? Was it the privilege he had on the Mount of Transfiguration as he says, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, and the heavens opened, and that proclamation is made, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I would say, contrary to all of that, it would be when Peter's brokenness happened in his denial. Sir Edward Elgar, he was a significant composer. He once listening to a soloist singing one of his songs, and she, she was brought to him by someone who worked for him, and she came and she sang with beautiful voice. She had faultless pitch, right? <laughs> not like I sing, but she had faultless pitch. She wonderful technique. And the individual that worked for Sir Edgar Allen uh, asked him what he thought, and he sat there unimpressed, and he said these words: "She will be great when something happens to break her heart. The voice needed another element to transform her." And in our personal life, there are things that happen that break our heart. There are things that happen that God allows in our life to change our life. I'll never forget losing uh, Allison's father, Alan. It changed our life. Our world stopped. It's a, a radical change. And in Peter's life, uh, Peter is, is broken in this moment of denial. And the culture that you and I are part of today recoils at any notion that brokenness leads to usefulness, and yet God takes brokenness and he makes people fit and equipped to uh, bring about and to see souls saved and to see things transformed for him. Peter, if you look at his story, trusted himself and then the enemy attacked. Peter realizes his brokenness, then God takes Peter and brings him, him back to life. So really my thoughts tonight are sort of macro level thoughts to expose the enemy's attacks and then show how God can use someone even though they've been down in the past. Be encouraged. If you've been down, you see the radical transformation in Peter's life. So the uh, enemy attacks believers in conflicting, sneaky ways. He attacks believers in our complacency. We're saved without works, yet we forget to do works to live out Christ to others. Charles Spurgeon said these words. I might quote Charles Spurgeon just a few times. I'm sort of a fan of Mr. Spurgeon, but he said, I do not think the devil cares about how many churches you build if only you have lukewarm preachers and people in them. And I ask individuals that are on the call today, when we, when we preach, do we love the lost? Do we love the person of Christ? Does it touch our heart to take someone to Calvary? Believers, as we live, both brothers and sisters, do, do we love those that are all around us that are lost? They're brokenhearted. Is your heart broken to see the perishing? Are we lukewarm going through the motions perhaps every Sunday? Or do we tell people about Christ regularly? This, these thoughts search my heart. He attacks us through our compromise. I cringe, I cringe when I hear a believer say, I can go into that place, I'm immune to being tempted. I wonder if you look back at the story of David as when he got up from his bed, he walked around on the roof of his palace, knowing Bathsheba would be there. 
And he's one of the greats that fell. You and I can go back in our history. And we can look at greats that fell. Don't compromise. He attacks through callous believers. Desensitized, perhaps, to human worth. Easy with these masks. We lose passion in our gospel work. Maybe we look at a particular group. We say there's no hope for them. There's no hope for that culture. Easy to just go to church and just let others spread the gospel. That's what they're called to do. Streets are too dangerous today to share the gospel. I was going to do gospel work in a particular assembly uh, in an area in the United States, which sees it at that. And I had this assembly tell me these words. We've tapped out, is the words we used. We've tapped out this neighborhood. So many seed sowers, so many texts, gospel work won't work here. I'll never forget it. And yet the Lord allowed a small work to be started and really it was more of a street work and, a, and giving food and clothing and different things to people. And there were people saved and there were over 50 to 60 people at every service after that. God's always working. He attacks with costume believers. He convinces believers perhaps to act a certain role. To, why show vulnerability? Why show transparency? Why show that perceived weakness? He attacks in our confusion. Sometimes in believers, we get confused because of the guilt of sin. They wonder if they're ever saved. Can I tell you if there's a believer on the call today? And that's the question. Go back to the word of God. I'm going to heaven today because God tells me through his word. Today, we're going to look at when the enemy attacks. Insight, perhaps, into his manipulating ways. And I trust that this provides encouragement to the believer who has been struck by the enemy. The enemy has a constant attack of the enemy. Notice that he's an invisible enemy, and this is vital to understand. I want you to take note as we consider the enemy that Christ came to the earth to destroy the devil, his works, and the power of sin. And so this enemy that is invisible to you and I is vital to take notice of, given it took Christ to conquer him. You see that in the book of Genesis. It starts right there in chapter 3. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Christ victorious over Satan at the cross. But notice how he attacks. If you were to look at Job, and we didn't read it together, but it says these words in, the, in chapter 1 of Job. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also with them. And the Lord says to Satan, uh, whence comes thou? So in King James, in our vernacular today, why are you here? And Satan answers the Lord and says, I've been going to and fro in the earth, and I'm walking up and down in it, and I want Job, is what he's saying. If there's anyone who knew how the enemy attacked, it's Peter. That's why he writes here, be sober. That thought of being sober is to keep appetites and passions under proper restraint and government, or be awake to see the sense of certainty and importance of things invisible and eternal. He says, be vigilant, or the singular in Greek there would be, in its tense to mean, have immediate attention. The sudden cries of warning of a shepherd who spies the lion prowling round the flock in the darkness while the guardians of the flock lie drowsy and secure. Be watchful, he's saying, against subtle and malicious designs of your spiritual enemies. He says, because, because, because it's actually omitted in the original text, but he says, because your adversary, the devil, your accuser, he that maligns you, he that culminates you, he that informs against you as a roaring lion. Interesting, Peter doesn't use as an angel of light. You see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But this one who attacks the believers, who attacks churches today, who attacks families today, 
This one's one of terror. He's a persecutor of believers. That roaring implies hunger. It implies determination. This, it's a, a, like a lion that crouches stealthily, fully creeping towards his foe. But rather than that, it's more like a raging monarch of the woods. A truly terrible roar would intimidate all to become easy prey. The angel of light would have been some seductive arts abounding, perhaps. World allures, charms. The enemy clothes himself in a garment and an angel of light. And here he's pictured as a roaring lion. The constant attack of the enemy. And Peter's saying, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. That walking about is really warning sleeping shepherds that Satan's especially attacking now. As a lion runs to and fro, famished with hunger, he's constantly on the hunt. Insidious methods, wiles, strategies, very intelligent. Strategies to surprise the foe, to take advantage of the foe. He comes at them with unawares, and we always need to be sober and on God. Seeking whom he may devour, Peter says. Seeking which he may devour, or which he may swallow up, or which he may destroy. The eyeing, the researching, looking for the best Christian he has a chance to devour. I give this message because I know that there are trials. I know that we go through things in our Christian walk. I know there's been a blessing and encouragement even going through trials. I speak from experience on that. But I'm seeking through the Holy Spirit just to empower you with this message. Charles Spurgeon said, as you can just consider the church and maybe your local church, maybe you've gone through challenges. Maybe there's, there's, there's been uproars, if we can use that terminology. Maybe you look back sometimes and wonder, is the enemy attacking? Because I feel it. Charles Spurgeon said these words. I'd say this to encourage you today. If the devil never roars, the church will never sing. God is not doing much if the devil is not awake and busy. Depend on it. A working Christ makes a raging devil. When you hear ill reports, cruel speeches, threats, taunts, and like, believe that the Lord is among his people and is working gloriously. Not only the constant ways, not only the conniving ways, or sorry, not only the constant, but now the conniving ways. Jonathan Edwards said these words, we cannot believe that the church of God is already possessed of all that light which God intends to give it, nor that all Satan's lurking places have already been found out. An angel of light. Sometimes he attacks believers with saying the grass is always greener. I don't know if you've ever met believers, but they're jumping from church to church. We have lots of friends uh, that are Christians, and it seems like just this one church from another. Sometimes he attacks with sensuality. Sometimes he attacks with billboards. Sometimes he attacks with triggers, the world's pleasures, the carnality of the world. He attacks the body with legalism. He attacks it with rules. He attacks it with secretarianism. He attacks it with high-mindedness. The list is endless here. He attacks it with deceptive false prophets. He wants believers to think he is good. He wants believers to think he is truthful. He's loving. He's powerful. He's all that God is, and he's not. He presents false teaching. I would say the biggest disguise the enemy has thrown out there is a watered-down gospel. No cross. No Christ. Something that people feel good. I would tell you today, if you're on the call and you've never come to know Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. You and I are born in our sin. We needed a Savior, and Jesus Christ came to the world, a sinless, spotless sacrifice, and he died as a substitute for your sins on an old rugged cross. There's nothing watered down. 
There was blood that flowed from the Godhead on the cross, and he did that just for you. And the Bible teaches that he that believeth on the Son, he that believes on the person of Christ, has everlasting life. The devil deceives nations. He deceives the unsaved. He attacks at every level. He tries to defeat the saved. Spurgeon said these words, if Satan can't get a Christian to fall into the pollution of sin, he will push the believer beyond the will of God into legalism and fanaticism. Can I encourage you today through Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16, it says these words, a just man falls seven times and rise again. First John chapter four says these words, you're of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Second Corinthians chapter two tells us that now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savior, savior of his knowledge by us in every place. The enemy attacks through comfortability. We're so afraid sometimes to step out of our comfort zone for the person of Christ. He attacks in our fear and discouragement. He attacks in legalism. We've already mentioned this. He attacks in pride. Moody mentioned these words, Christians should live in the world but not be filled with it. A ship lives in the water, but if the water gets into the ship, she goes to the bottom. So Christians may live in the world, but if the world gets into them, they sink. Combating the enemy. We look at the constant attacks. We looked at his conniving ways. And we look at combating the enemy. Peter can't combat him, but you can protect yourself against him. Notice these words. There's, if you look at Peter's denial of the person of Christ, there's a really a progressive path that leads Peter to denial. First, he's overconfident. He says to the other disciples that are there, he says, enter Christ. He says, although all that will be offended, I will never be offended. He's overconfident. Notice this prayerlessness. Luke doesn't tell us this, but if you go to the book of Mark, Mark tells us this. Peter, James, and John, they're in the scene of the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus returns from praying to his father, and Mark says these words, and he comes and he finds them as sleeping and says unto them, Peter, Simon, why are you sleeping? Could you not watch with me just this one hour? It continues, and as, as it progresses, Peter's not listening to Christ. In Luke chapter 22, it says, when they saw all those around them and him, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? He's asking God, but not waiting for his answer. Peter takes the sword, and he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Peter's associating with the wrong crowd. Notice Peter falls afar off, even into the palace of the high priest, and he sits with the servants, and he warms himself at the fire. And he noticed these things. He reverts to old habits. It says, Peter began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man of whom you speak. And then finally, as it progresses, he has outright denial. I know not this man of whom you speak. This woman looks at him and the verb of this woman looking at him is made eye contact. Verse 57 says these words, woman, I know him not. Verse 58, another accuser, and Peter says, man, I know not. And an hour later, another accuser, and Peter says, man, I know not what thou sayest. And the cock crew, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I would submit to you that when the Lord looked at Peter, it was a look of love. It was a look of kindness. It was a look of patience. It was a look of grace. How do we stand firm and resist the devil? So he flees. We war against the enemy by not being ignorant of his schemes. We submit to God. We be sober. We be alert. We be resistant. Don't speak lightly of him. This is a topic that we don't really talk about, how the enemy attacks. If Michael the archangel, 
didn't speak lightly of him. We shouldn't either. You notice that in Jude, verse 8 and verse 9, it says these words, Likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. How do we protect ourselves against his attacks? These defensive pieces of armor for protection, truth, righteousness, the gospel proclamation, faith, and salvation, the two offensive weapons for attack, the sword of scripture and prayer. You know, at Pacific Garden Mission, Michael mentioned this, but uh, if you were to ask someone who went through the Bible program there, it takes a year to get through the program. You, and the question would be asked when I first started working there and helping out, uh, the question was always asked, why, like, why are we studying so much scripture? People would ask this question coming into the program. Why is there so much scripture being studied? And the pastor McNeil, who's, uh, his wife has actually ran uh, Unshackled Radio. He's a good friend of mine, but uh, he said these words that the United States and countries have anti ballistic missiles. They're surface-to-air missiles designed to counter ballistic missiles from the enemy. And he says, when the, when the missile is shot up and the, our country hears of this missile coming in, we can, this, these uh, anti-ballistic missiles automatically come out and intercept what's coming to the United States. And he said, when the word of God is planted in the heart and when sin rears its ugly head, when the enemy whispers deceit in the heart of the new believer, we intercept the enemy's darts with the word of God. And that's what they do down at Pacific Garden Mission. It's applicable to you and I today. Notice the comeback revival of the believer. Consider the guilt. Consider the remorse of Peter post-crucifixion. We think of Peter perhaps today as being a complete sellout, maybe a waste of space. Maybe you've heard these, term, these terms used on believers who have fallen. Maybe irrecoverable is another term. How could he ever face Jesus again? Where are the disciples? They're huddled together in fear for their lives. Notice Christ. He turned and looked at Peter. Notice at the tomb where Jesus had been buried. And it says these words in Mark's gospel. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. So concerned over Peter. God so concerned over Peter. The one who had hurtfully and betrayed him. If you look at the book of Luke, chapter 24 and verse 11, you see these words. I love it. It's good old Peter is what I title it. It says, verse 12 says this, then arose Peter. To the other, belie- to the other disciples, uh, the fact that Christ had risen was like an idle tale. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe anything. But it says, then arose Peter, and Peter runs into the sepulcher. And stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves. The gospel message is Jesus Christ came to this world. He came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And he paid for sin, and he overcame the power of sin. Acts events, if you look at the book of Acts, as Luke writes, Acts, it's sometimes been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. When God chooses a spokesperson for himself, an unlikely hero, he takes Peter. Notice what he says about Peter. In in chapter 2 of verse 13, uh, Peter here is restored. And Peter, it says, as people are mocking during Pentecost, Peter says, but Peter, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and began to preach. And verse 20, and it shall come to pass, Peter's speaking here. This is the same Peter that denied Christ. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he's bold. And he says these words in verse 23. This is a man whose God's using. This is a man who God has restored, whose God, God has rejuvenated. And he says, you have taken. I'm telling you about Christ. You have taken. 
and with wicked hands have crucified him, have slain him. Verse 24 is whom God hath raised up. Can you imagine the power in this message filled with the Holy Spirit? Verse 36, he's still preaching. He says, God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 38 in Acts chapter 2, because repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And there you see 3,000 souls added. God in his grace working through the light, through the life of an unlikely hero. Peter's preaching. He's on fire. Peter is doing what Jesus had directed them to do. Jesus had said, go ye into all the world. Find the man who spit on my face. Tell him I died to set him free. Find those who struck me with their fists as I was blindfolded. Tell them I forgave them. Peter would have seen that. Find those who took my Godhead hands and pierced them. Tell them that my blood was shed to wash away their sins as far as the east is from the west. Find the soldier who thrust his spear into my side. Tell him I gave him my life so that he could eternally live. Practically for you and I today, find the drunkard. Find the destitute. Believer, be encouraged. Listen, God wants to use you to reach souls for his glory and for his kingdom. Find the blasphemer. Find the prodigal. I was the prodigal. I'd love to tell you my story someday uh, meeting with you, but uh, I was saved at 22 in a very dark place down in Florida. Find the young boy. Find the young girl. Find the older one alike that was born dead in their trespasses and sins and tell them, tell them, I am come, John chapter 10, that they might have life and life more abundantly. We need to be a testimony of the grace of God in our actions, in our interpersonal relationships. Preach, live, love the gospel without prejudice. Preach the gospel without fear of reproach. Preach the gospel with courage and love for both the sinner and Christ. Draw men and women to an old rugged cross. We don't need to add to the gospel. We don't take away from the gospel. The gospel is focused on the cross. Take them to Golgotha. Take them to the place where they crucified him. That's the message. The aim and goal of every believer should be wrapped up in thoughts of Christ. I ask, are we enjoying him today? There's an old hymn by the Gaithers, one of my favorite hymns that says this. There's a line that's been drawn through the ages. The hymn is actually called, It is Finished. There's a line that's been drawn through the ages, and on that line stands an old rugged cross. And on that cross, a battle is raging for the gain of a man's soul or its loss. On one side march the forces of evil, all the demons, the devils of hell, and the angels, and they, there they meet at Calvary. He continues writing, the earth shakes with the force of the conflict. The sun refuses to shine, for there hangs God's son in the balance. And then through the darkness, he cries. The cry of Christ, it is finished. The hymn writer writes, the battle is over. It is finished. There'll be no more war. It is finished. The end of the conflict, it is finished. And Jesus is Lord. Listen carefully, though, dear one on the call, if you're still not saved, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and know heaven as your home, maybe this is for you. As the hymn writer continues, notice what he writes. He says, yet in my heart, the battle was still raging. Not all prisoners of war had come home. There were battlefields of my own making. I didn't know that the war had been won. Then I heard that the king of all ages had won all the battles for me, and the victory was mine for the claiming, and now praise his name, I am free. Do we realize, believers and unbelievers alike, that the battle over our sins punishment was won by Christ on our cross? Do we live in that realization? He came, he lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and Christ hath highly exalted him. Now we're running out of time here, but I just want you to consider if you, if you do a, 
a, a study and you want to jump into this a little bit more, look at Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, and just look at what God is doing through Peter. Our God is a God of restoration. He's a God of healing. He's a God of full recovery to those who have fallen and are broken. And we cling to him. We overcome the attacks of the enemy. We live lives that bring glory to him. Thomas Brooks said these words, Satan promises the best but pays with the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life and he pays with death. This man that you see on your screen was actually saved at Pacific Garden Mission. It's Billy Sunday, he's a former alcoholic. God using an unlikely hero. And in his sermon titled, Wonderful, he wrote these words. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. And he continues in his sermon on Wonderful. There are 256 names given in the Bible for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I suppose this was because he was infinitely beyond all that any one name could express. To encourage you through the roughest of attacks and testing. The poem was written, in Christ we have a love that can never be fathomed, a life that can never die, a righteousness that can never be tarnished, a peace that can never be understood, a rest that could never be disturbed, a joy that can never be diminished, a hope that can never be disappointed, a glory that can never be clouded, a light that can never be darkened, a purity that can never be defiled, a beauty that can never be marred, a wisdom that can never be baffled, resources that never be exhausted. And we win, believers, in this journey with the Lord. We win because Christ is with us. We win because we have his infallible word. March 20, 1820, I close. There was a baby girl born with only to discover that at six weeks old, she lost her eyesight to an eye infection and medical ignorance. She died at the age of 94 on February 12, 1915. I know that there are some on the call that know who I'm speaking about here today, but they say she wrote almost up to 9,000 hymns, blind yet guided by the Holy Spirit. Her name was Fanny Crosby. And she penned these words at one of my favorite hymns. And maybe as I just quote it to you, uh, maybe you're singing on the other end. If you're like me, I enjoy singing. But she says these words, I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice and it told thy love to me, but I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Remember you were saying, well, Matt, you're speaking so fast. I can't uh, sing at that pace, but it's okay. But just enjoy these this hymn, because you think of a blind person writing these words, consecrate me, she says, now to thy service, Lord. Am I maybe speaking to a believer, and maybe you've struggled. Maybe you've gone through things in your life. She's saying, consecrate me now to thy service, Lord. The past is the past. I'm ready today to take a step by thy power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope and my will, my will. Be lost in thine. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend when I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. I love this verse right here. There are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross the narrow sea. Believers, the day is coming close and we're going to see him. Does that throw your heart? Does it bring joy to your walk? There are heights of joy that I may not reach till I rest in peace with thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side.
Believers, if you're broken today because of past mistakes, be encouraged by Peter's story. Let's go into all the world with testimonies that are alive and that are on fire, preaching the gospel both audibly and silently through our testimonies. Your testimony speaks a lot to those that are unsaved. Be encouraged because he, the one that we worship, the one that has brought us together today, has promised these words, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening. What a privilege it was to share God's word with you today. We pray that you were fed, strengthened, and more equipped to run the race with perseverance. To listen to more podcasts like this, make sure to subscribe. For more content from Langstaff and to connect with us, go to langstaffassembly.com. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you next time.